Hello, everyone. It is uh, it's 11.02. I'm actually two minutes late. Sorry, I'm late to the party here today. I, uh, I was actually just so into studying here and, and reading some of these exciting things I, I want to share with you that I just lost track of time. So here we are. And uh, thanks for joining me. I know that sometimes it takes several minutes for everybody to jump in. I see Judy and Val, and, and it's great to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Today's, today's Bible study is just, it's only a couple of verses, but it is powerful. It's, it's really good. It's really important. So that's why we're going to take time on it. And I uh, hope you've taken a couple of minutes to get something to drink, maybe your favorite coffee or whatever, uh, you know, your favorite beverage, iced tea. It's hot summertime, maybe iced tea or iced coffee, but I'm still drinking my hot coffee today. In fact, today, this is the real stuff. Um, I'm, I tried a, uh, a dark roast from uh, the theme of it. It's uh, simply true, simply true, simple truth organic, simple truth organic, dark roast. Now I have to confess, this is the real stuff. This is uh, it's got caffeine in it. Hi Debbie, thanks for watching. And uh, you know what? I, today I just needed a, a little extra boost. I had these on hand because I bought them by mistake. I thought they were decaf. There's a little green on the box. You know, green is sometimes decaf. Hi, Sue. And I, and I bought it just thinking it was decaf, and then I realized it was regular, and I really can't drink very much regular. It makes my heart rhythms go crazy. So don't tell my cardiologist. I don't think he's watching. But uh, this is regular. And as I got up early today and I've been studying, I, I also had some meetings to attend to. I thought to myself, I need a little extra boost. So here we are. Uh, even though it's hot outside, I'm a hot coffee drinker. Um, well, open your Bibles and get ready for Bible study. Luke chapter 3. This is uh, part 2 of chapter 3. Um, I did a little work this morning on the podcast. I'm apologizing over, it seems like every week, because I've been behind on that. But I've just had really a crazy time getting into new schedules and routines. But I did a little work on it this morning and lined out. There's about four or five podcasts that are missing. And I, I picked up Luke chapter one, part five, and put that on today. And I lined up the next three to get them ready. Uh, so we'll have them all complete and up to date very soon. And I know I've said that before, so I apologize. But uh, I'm really working on it. Uh, this next week is uh, hopefully I'll be done by then because I really want to get done before... I start my assignment, which is Wednesday next week. I start my assignment as pastor at the Udall United Methodist Church. And I'm really excited about that. So hi, Beverly. Uh, thanks for coming in on the Bible study today. Very excited. Wednesday, so my first day there, we will do evening prayer and a Wednesday night discipleship study after the prayer. I'm going to try and do my best to to bring all of those services to you on Brad Riley Ministries live through Facebook, uh, one way or another. Uh, till I get there and see how we're going to actually set up cameras and everything, I'm not quite sure it'll happen the first day. But look, it might. It might just happen Wednesday night uh, next week. It might just happen that there's an evening prayer service followed by some study in the Word. And then, of course, on Sundays, July 5th will be the first Sunday there. And uh, so excited. I'm going to put a little plug in also for this Sunday, June 28th. I will be at Central Community Church worshiping with my family and listening to my daughter, Brooke, our daughter, Brooke, sing on the praise team. It's so excited to be back in church physically to, uh, to actually watch uh, and participate in everything. I accidentally bumped a video on my laptop, so sorry about that. Um, I was looking for the, uh, the live feed here just quickly to see if I could follow your comments a little better there than on the phone, but I am not finding it, but that's okay. So I'm excited Sunday to be in church physically at Central Community Church with uh, my family, listening to Brooke sing. She's, uh, she's singing on the praise team. She was doing that before and, and just as, as you know, works there as a college intern in ministry and uh, really proud of her and it's exciting to watch her sing and leading worship up there. So if you have your Bibles and your prayer cards, let's 
get ready to jump into uh, Luke chapter 3. We're going to talk this morning about the baptism of Jesus. Uh, yesterday, I asked the question in a little preview video, why was Jesus baptized? Now, that's a question that has, has uh, been in the forethought of most every theologian since the beginning of Christian thought. And there's a few different answers that float around out there, but there's some really strong stuff. I'm, I'm going to share with you some words that are incredible from, and they're not incredible because they're my thoughts. They're incredible because they have, they have been handed down to us through about 1,700 years of Christian thinking. And I'm going to show you what the earliest Christians believed about why Jesus was baptized. And, and then we're going to make up your own mind. Um, that's what we do in this Bible study. I present you the scripture as I believe it is given, as interpreted through the original language of Greek, and, and looking into the meaning of certain words, and, and see if we can answer the question, why was Jesus baptized? You know, he was without sin, right? So why was he baptized? We're going we're gonna to answer that today. So take out your prayer cards if you have them, and let's offer this prayer before the study of Scripture today. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy good and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Sylvia, thanks. It's good to see you there. Um, my sound is on. She, Sylvia's asking a question. I don't hear you. Is your sound on? Yes, my sound is on. I don't know why you're not hearing me, but it, it should be on. Uh, so if somebody else is having trouble hearing, put a note in there, uh, because I don't know what I could do any differently. But uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we we want to we look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're just going to look at a couple of verses, so it won't take long to read it. But let's look at Luke chapter 3. Let me read to you verses 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove, and a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased." This is the word of the Lord. Let's just stop right there. Oh, Joan, I'm so glad you're watching today. And Brooke, thanks for, for, for listening in. It's two verses, just two. Very, a lot happening in those two verses. And we really want to, to just invite ourselves to, to go back into this, this in our minds, in our mind's eye. Let's go back into the baptism of Jesus, Cindy and, and Judy. Uh, good, I'm glad you can hear. Uh, so Luke is giving us, like he always does, he gives us really important word clues as to what's going on. Now he says, now he opens by saying, now when all the people have been baptized, what do we know from the last time? that We, we didn't meet last week, so if you're wondering and you missed the announcement, it was canceled because I had to do a funeral at that time. But uh, I don't like having to cancel, but sometimes we just have to. And thanks for coming back, though. And hello to everyone who watches this later on. I know we're getting a lot of views at later times uh, and from all kinds of places around the world. So Luke told us the last time that when John the Baptist began his ministry and went out into the Jordan River and began to baptize, it says the multitudes came. He even told us how there was... Uh, the John's message to them were you brood of vipers and, and, and things like that, snakes and, and things like that. And, and, you know, if we go back and read Matthew's gospel, we see that included in that multitudes 
were people that were not really repentant. He was calling people to be baptized if they repented, in order to show they repented to be baptized. And and uh, in that case, there were some Pharisees and some Sadducees and others who came to be baptized, and, and he had some pretty harsh language for them uh, because he didn't believe they were repenting. And, and I want us to go back and I want us to understand baptism from a Jewish perspective and just what John was calling the people to do and what Jesus actually did. So this, this, is, this is important. Now, in Jewish faith, in the Hebrew faith of the Old Testament, there were many types of baptism. Most of them were just ceremonial washings. The word to baptize, baptizo in the Greek, means to dip. So to dip your hands in the water is to baptize your hands. So there were all kinds of ceremonial washings. They had, they had what, what was called a mikvah, which was a ceremonial cleansing bath, where you actually went down in. We went through those. Sylvia might remember when we were in Israel together uh, my first time. You, know, you go down into the, the bath of the water on one side, dirty, and you come out the other side, not, not walking on the same steps, but out the other side, clean. So it was a ceremonial washing, and it was, you know, during uh, purification from the law of Moses and different rites that they had to have. But there was another form of baptism in the Jewish faith that was uh, really important, and that was uh, the baptism of conversion. Many times, people who were Gentiles would see the faith of God and the God's people, and, and they would come to believe in the God of heaven, the God Yahweh, and they would, to convert to Judaism, have to be baptized. And by becoming baptized and being dipped in the water, they were, first they were circumcised. Every male had to be circumcised if he was going to convert to Judaism. And then, after the circumcision was washed, and this was a symbol to them, through the waters of baptism, this was a symbol to them that they were now clean, that they were now part of God's family. So a while back, a couple of lessons back or so, I talked a lot about uh, baptism as that, how it correlates to circumcision and that idea of the covenant, the symbol of the covenant. It is how we, that was how they circumcision and this is how we enter the covenant. Now, for the Gentile who wanted to enter the covenant of God, it was circumcision and baptism in the Jewish faith. So fast forward now to the time of Jesus, and John the Baptist is telling all the Jews that they need to repent and be baptized. Now, if you heard that, and you're Jewish, you're thinking, well, what do I need to be baptized for? i I'm already Jewish. I'm not a Gentile converting in here. And, and I'm clean because I'm, I'm Jewish. And you know you're part of God's family because you're Jewish. And, and so the Pharisees and other leaders of the people at that time, they, they got this idea. Hi, Brock. Thanks for joining us today. They, the Pharisees had this idea that they were, the teaching had even grown up, that, that they were not only God's chosen, they were the only people that God would ever save. And that by virtue of the fact that they were offspring of Abraham, they were already saved. So this message of John the Baptist to repent and be baptized really didn't make sense to them. And, and their hearts were kind of hard about it. And that's why John was so hard on it. But the scripture tells us multitudes went. And right here today in verse 21, it tells us that when all the people had been baptized. So we know that there was great revival in Israel during the ministry of John the Baptist, which probably, as we mentioned last time, probably lasted a couple of years, two, three years. Time he baptized, it, it seems to be that almost everyone in Israel got rebaptized, And uh, probably those Pharisees and, and other leaders did it out of peer pressure. They didn't want to be the only ones that weren't, even though their hearts weren't pure. Um, so, what were those people saying when they said, okay, I hear you, John. I want to repent, and I'm going to be baptized. And John said to be 
repent repent for the forgiveness of your sins be be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and so what they were it was as if they were saying i i have to start over being a jew being a child of abraham is not enough i need to repent of my sin and i need to be washed clean now we know that baptism was not a washing of clean of cleanliness that was not the water of quote regeneration if you will because Christ had not been baptized yet but into this amazing scene all the peoples have been baptized Jesus comes to the river and Jesus submits himself to to John's baptism now we know from reading the other gospels you know John is at first he's standing back and he's saying look I can't baptize you I I'm not worthy to baptize you, Jesus. I, I need to be baptized by you, he says. And, and, and Jesus, of course, tells him, no, this is the way it has to be. And we're going to look at that question this morning. Why does it have to be this way? What does it actually mean? I'm going to move some books around here for just a second and uncover some of my notes. First of all, the, one of the reasons I think it has to be, hi, Carrie, thanks for joining us today. It's good to see you. Is, is because Jesus is, let's remember, Jesus is God and man. 100% God and 100% man. That means in his humanity, he is not divine. He had doubts, he had, uh, he had emotions, he had to work through everything in his humanity that you and I do. And that's part of the beauty of Jesus Christ, our Savior, being having taken human form so that he not only could redeem us, but relate to us, and that we have a Savior we can relate to, that no matter what fear, no matter what sin, no matter what problem, no matter anything that happens in our life, we know that Jesus faced it and conquered it without sin. Now, in that, you, the last time we saw the, one of the big hinge movements of Jesus' life, we have, of course, the birth, the nativity, the incarnation, where God becomes flesh. And then we had him at 12 years of age, just a few weeks ago, we talked about that, in the temple, uh, just astounding the people in the temple with the knowledge he has of God and calling it his father's house when his mother and father came to ask where he was, when Mary and Joseph came to ask. And so he's got an awareness then that I must be about my father's business. So in his humanity, he's becoming more and more aware. And he was, so from 12 years to now, we're going to hear, uh, Luke's going to tell us that he was about, in the next verse, he's, we'll study that next week, he's about 30 years old. So it's been 18 years since Jesus, we last saw him in the temple, Luke recorded about his life. And now it's another one of those hinge moments. So what's been happening in those 18 years? Jesus has been a carpenter in Nazareth, supporting his mother, most likely, pretty much everyone believes Joseph is is gone by now. He's he's died that he was older and died, and and Jesus, being the the good son that he is, is taking care of his mother. But he knows it's time. It's time. He in his humanity is seeing the swell of people coming to repentance through the ministry of John the Baptist. And can you imagine his? His sensation within knowing it's time. The Father. So one of the things we know, I'm going to give you three things to consider today out of this scripture as we study it. And one of the things we know about why Jesus was baptized is this. Jesus, I don't believe, did anything on a whim. In other words, uh, just, oh, whimsically, I'll just, hey, everybody's being baptized. I guess I'll go get baptized. Jesus didn't do that. Okay, everything Jesus did in his human life was led by the Father. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And he's being led to understand now is the time. So on this important day, Jesus goes to the waters of the Jordan River and is baptized. This great revival is sweeping the people are ready. John has been preparing the way. They're now ready for Jesus and his ministry. Remember, John got arrested and his ministry is going to fade away. But Jesus is beginning. This is the inauguration, if you will, of his public ministry. And remember, in the other Gospels, it says, Behold the Lamb of God. 
John called Jesus as he's walking to the waters of baptism. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a beautiful phrase that's used in many liturgies uh, at, at the time of Holy Communion, where it, it, it's the, the, in Latin it's called the Agnus Dei, which means Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in, in that coming, it's time for him to begin this ministry, this ministry that is going to deliver his people from the bondage of sin. And so, um, as he comes into the water and as he's baptized, we, we read a couple of things. It says that after being baptized, or it, it says also after Jesus having been baptized, that Jesus was praying. So we truly do believe that Jesus was immersed in the water. That's, it's a river. There was plenty of water to do that. Um, the word means to be immersed. So immersion is perhaps always the best way. Uh, I, let me phrase it that way. I don't think we have to be dogmatic that it has to be immersion. I mean, we see the Ethiopian eunuch. There's water in a ditch. Probably maybe not enough to dunk him completely under, but you know, hey, there's water. What the Ethiopian eunuch says with Philip, there's water what prevents me from being baptized. And so, you know, perhaps Philip had to kind of get him on his knees and pour it over his head or something. But so the form isn't what we want to concentrate on totally, although we do believe immersion would be the the most valid, most important if we're going to follow the example of Jesus. Um, but in that sense, Jesus is, is uh, praying. It says right here, he was praying. And as he's praying, the heavens are opened. The heavens are open. What, what an amazing thing this was, that there was this visible encounter with the Holy Trinity. Let me explain, what, let me explain those parts. We have Jesus the Son. We see the heavens opened. And we see a dove, it tells us, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. This is not just in Jesus' eyes. Everyone can see this. The word in the Greek here for, uh, for this dis, uh, descended upon him in bodily form, that word bodily form, is the word somatikeo. Somatikeo. S O M. I, no, S-O-M-A-T-I-K-O, somatiko, okay, somatiko. And it literally means to appear in bodily form. So this isn't a mystical dove. This isn't a, you know, just a dove that only Jesus can see. Everyone can see this dove. Why a dove? That's a fascinating thought right there. But I believe there is a connection to the Old Testament here. When Noah has gone through the waters of baptism, if you will, the, the, the great flood, and he's saved through that water, him and his family in that ark, the good news that comes to them, that life is going to continue, and that life is, is, is that, that there is still life, is a dove that comes with the olive branch. So we see the symbol of the waters have subsided, the boat has rested, the ark has rested, and, and Noah knows there is... God with them, and that would be the Spirit of God, and peace. That, so we have the dove that represents the Spirit of God coming to him. We have the olive branch that represents peace. There is, there's new growth on trees. Everything's beautiful. It's going to be okay. Uh, so the peace of God. We see that represented here. So the dove is a very important tie to the historic scriptural thought of God's Spirit. And it says that, it, that this dove descended upon him. This dove is a bodily, visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, and it descended upon him. This word descended is a word that says, uh, let's see if I have it. Yes, upon him, epi, E-P-I in the Greek, epi, which means it fits. Okay, it's literally on. So the the bird doesn't just hover over Jesus in the air or something like that. It literally lands on him, according to the Greek language here. Hi, John. Thanks for joining in today. So in Jesus' baptism, we now have heaven open, 
literally people seeing us, the, the, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. Now, all the people don't know that's the Holy Spirit of God. Luke knows as he writes this, that's the Holy Spirit of God. And then we hear the voice of the Father. This is incredible. Oh, good. Sylvia says, I can hear you now. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Now, not only can you hear me, Sylvia, everybody there heard the Father, the words of the Father. God, the Father, spoke. And here's what he said. He said, and this is the, the Revised Standard Version, it says, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. If we read that in English and we translate it from the Greek to English, it's real important to hear the word you. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And that you in the Greek is emphatic. God the Father is speaking to God the Son. Hi, JV, my friend JV. Thanks for watching today. God the Father is speaking audibly to Jesus, his son, and saying, in you, my son, I am well pleased. And that word in the Greek there, that well pleased, it's it's eudokeo, eudokeo, e-u-d-o-k-e-o, eudokeo. And it literally means to be gladly chosen. So the father is sending his spirit upon the son the Son rests on the Father, and we hear his voice saying, You are my Son. You are the Son of God. You are my Son, in whom we are well, I am well pleased, whom I have chosen. I mean, this is, this is the work of the Holy Trinity. If anybody ever asks you, where do we see the Trinity in Scripture? Frankly, it's all over in Scripture, but it, it takes discernment to see it because we know that the word Trinity is not in Scripture. But the form of the Trinity and the concept of the Trinity is all over scriptural understanding. And this is one of the most vivid, one of the most emphatic representations of the ministry of the Spirit, of the Trinity, I mean. Now, <clears throat> as Jesus goes into the waters, we, we're, we're faced with some questions. I told you we would answer that question today. Why was Jesus baptized. Now, I'm going to read to you some things from some early church fathers that are pretty amazing thoughts. I, I, I can't take credit for any of this, okay? I just read and study the early church fathers. And, and you know what's amazing is, is as I read some of this stuff, it's just connected with what I've learned through the years and what I think makes complete sense. Um, if you're coming to Bible study, and I said this a few weeks ago when we talked about baptism as it corresponded to Old Testament circumcision, if you're coming to this Bible study from an even classical evangelical perspective that has always seen baptism as just a symbolic act uh, stating that you have faith in Jesus, but not really a sacramental act, then these words and everything I'm going to read right now is challenging to you. And, and I know I shook your world a little bit last time because I made the statement that we cannot say that baptism is not regenerational. Now, I, I don't believe that baptism is purely regenerational because it can't be separated from faith. Truly, we are regenerated. We are saved of God by faith through the, the power of the Holy Spirit through the cleansing of the blood of Christ from the cross. And that faith must be there. But as we talked about the last time, nobody entered the covenant of God without circumcision, and nobody enters the covenant of the church, the new covenant of God, without baptism. Unless by God's providence, he says it's so, like the thief on the cross. He didn't get baptized, not physically, but he did get baptized spiritually. Now, I'm going to quote uh, a Roman Catholic archbishop from the 1960s, kind of in that era, 50s and 60s. And he had a TV show, and his name was Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen. 
And he was kind of a charismatic preacher. And he was actually on TV. I remember seeing his TV show when I was a kid. And he said, and maybe others have said this too, but I'm going to give him credit for it. He said there are three kinds of baptism. Number one, the one we most often think of, and that's the baptism of water. Number two, he says, would be the baptism of desire. We want to be baptized. We've come to faith and we realize we have the desire for life in Christ. But something happens. Like for that thief, it was his death within a matter of hours on that cross. So something happened that came between us and the physical sacramental act of being baptized. We had the desire. We're saved of God. We, we don't have to worry about missing out on heaven and eternity for some small little uh, uncontrollable act in the universe. So that's baptism of desire. And then he also said there's a baptism of blood. I think that was pretty profound. And that would be the martyr's baptism. Those who may well have said, no, I will not recant my faith in Jesus, but had not had time to be baptized. And we know in the early centuries, the church didn't always baptize people immediately upon a declaration of faith because they wanted them to really learn the faith. So there was a time of instruction, a catechumenate, if you will, of learning. Uh, and also, the, the fact was, uh, the, the people... Uh, they believed in those earliest of days that once you're baptized, you better not sin afterwards uh, because then you're lost. And so we know that that's not good Christian doctrine. And they had several uh, teachings and councils and things that helped work that out over those first few centuries. But this idea of the baptism of blood or the martyr's baptism became apparent. So these are providential ways that God still saves us, even though maybe we're not baptized. So if I'm teaching today and there's someone out there who maybe hears this another time or even one of uh, the those joining me today and you've never been baptized, first I want to say, go get baptized. Go to your church, go to your pastor, go wherever you are, get baptized. If you're a believer in Jesus, you need to be baptized. Uh if you don't have a church home, call me. We'll figure it out. We'll get you baptized. But don't fear your faith is somehow uh, incomplete. Providentially, if something hinders you, and I pray it doesn't, and you die before you get it all worked out, God is with you. God loves you. He saves you by his grace. But do not put off your baptism because baptism is it is this sacramental act of grace and I'm going to talk about that more as we read through some now I'm going to read to you from the church fathers now this first one I, I think this is powerful okay this is from a man named Maximus of Turin Maximus was a bishop of the church in Turin Italy that's northern Italy in the fifth century lived in the 400s. There's not an awful lot about his life that we know and can reliably count on, but there's a whole lot of his writings that are out there and can have been rediscovered. And in fact, interestingly enough, June the 25th, today, the day we're having this Bible study, is his uh, saint's day, his feast day on the, on the Western calendar. Uh, June the 25th, Maximus of Turin. Well, Maximus said this. Listen to, listen to this. Today then... He, meaning Jesus, he is baptized in the Jordan. What sort of baptism is this when the one who is dipped is purer than the font? And where the water that soaks the one whom it has received is not dirtied, but honored with blessings. What sort of baptism is this of the Savior, I ask, in which the streams are made pure more than they purify. For by a new kind of consecration, the water does not so much wash Christ as submit to being washed by Christ. Since the Savior plunged into the waters, he sanctified the outpouring of every flood and the course of every stream by the mystery of his baptism. When someone wishes to be baptized, in the name of the Lord Jesus, it is not so much the water of this world that covers him, but the water of Christ that purifies him. Yet the Savior will be baptized for this reason 
not that he might cleanse himself, but that he might cleanse the waters for our sake. Did you catch that? That is huge. That is beautiful. Father Les and Jamie, hey, so thank you so much for joining in today. We're talking about the waters of baptism. What Maximus of Turin wrote is so, it's not only poetic and elegant, but I think it's true, it's beautiful, that we know that Jesus Christ, eternally existent with the Father and the Spirit, in the fullness of time, took on human form. God took on human form so that our human form and all of creation, everything of matter that had been created, could once again matter, could once again be redeemed, could once again be made new purified, sanctified. And so we see Jesus, the sinless one, going into the waters of baptism for us so that the waters of baptism could be sanctified, so that the act of baptism could be sanctified, so that you and I could follow and be obedient to walk in our Savior's steps. Those are just powerful, beautiful thoughts. Um, another one for you on the mystery of baptism from Cyril of Alexandria, uh, 5th century, uh, great leader of the church, patriarch of Alexandria, one of the five ruling patriarchs of the Christian world at the time, uh, the Council of Ephesus, the main leader in the year 431. He said this, but how then they object was he baptized and received by the Spirit, and received the Spirit? We reply that he had no need of holy baptism. He was wholly pure and spotless in the holiest of the holy. He did not need the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit that proceeds from God the Father is from him and equal to him in substance. So he's talking about that Trinitarian form like the Creed talks about. Now, at last, we must explain God's plan of salvation. So Cyril of Alexandria is going to equate God's plan of salvation with Jesus' baptism. God, in his love of humankind, provided for us a way of salvation and a way of life. Believing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and making this confession before many witnesses... We wash away all the filth of sin. The communication of the Holy Spirit enriched us, made us partakers of the divine nature, gained for us the grace of adoption as God's children. It was necessary, therefore, that the word of the Father became for our sakes the pattern and the way of every good work when he humbled himself to emptiness and designed to assume our likeness. For it follows that he who is first in everything must set the example in this too. He commences the work himself in order that we may learn about the power of holy baptism and learn how much we gain by approaching so great a grace. Almost finished. One more sentence. Having been baptized, Jesus prays that you, my beloved, may learn that never ceasing prayer is a thing most fitting for those who have been once counted worthy of holy baptism. That's a little bit long, but wow, it is so strong. And he's equating the whole plan of God's salvation with the obedience of Jesus Christ leading our way into the work, the good work of baptism, which brings to us the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is powerful stuff. He even is using the words of Peter there when Peter says in his epistle that, that we become partakers of the divine nature. There is, there is a, if you will, a sacramental union between our human spirit, and God's Holy Spirit when we receive any grace of sacrament, whether that's baptism or whether that's Holy Communion 
uh, or I would go on to say whether that's anointing with oil. I know Protestants get hung up. Most Protestants, especially evangelicals, get hung up. Oh, there's only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. And, you know, the Catholics like to say, no, there are seven sacraments. And, and they add to that, of course, uh, anointing of the sick, which I was talking about with oil, the anointing. And they add to it the priestly orders or the ordination of the, the priests, the clergy. And they add to it marriage. And they would also add to it the reconciliation of a penitent or the sacrament of confession. Now, a problem with both of those views, the Catholic view and the Protestant view, is that they're both wrong. <laughs> you can't number God's sacraments. God, everything is sacramental. God's grace is everywhere. His grace is all around us in the world. Everything in creation is a channel of God's grace at work in our, in our world and in our lives. And that is why, I'm going to read to you the Revelation 21 in just a few minutes. Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Because he's working through creation to not only recreate it, but to recreate us in it. Now, so everything is a channel of God's grace. His grace is everywhere, present. Like the old, uh, the old Eastern Christian prayer, O, o Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who are everywhere present and filling all things. Um, now, in this, there's one more, one more early church father I want you to hear from this morning. Uh, and it's from Cyprian. Cyprian's the earliest one. Uh, we heard from the 4th century and Max, actually, uh, we heard from two 5th centuries, that's the 400s, uh, from Maximus and Alex Cyril of Alexandria. Now let's hear from Cyprian, who was in the early 200s. Okay, so this is, you know, just like 150 years after, after Jesus himself. And Cyprian said this about the scripture that we're studying today on Jesus' baptism. From the first moment of his descent from the glories of heaven to earthly things, he, meaning Jesus, he did not disdain to put on man's flesh, although he was the Son of God. And although he himself was not a sinner, he did not disdain to bear the sins of others. Having put aside his immortality for a time, he suffered himself to become mortal, in order that though innocent, he might be slain for the salvation of the guilty. The Lord Jesus was baptized by his servant, and he, although destined to grant the remission of sins, did not disdain to have his body cleansed with the water of regeneration. Uh, that's probably written somewhere in the between the years 220 and 250. And Cyprian... St. Cyprian is calling the waters of baptism the waters of regeneration. Well, let me come full circle. Let me take us to the book of Revelation. We've been talking about why Jesus went in to be baptized. The first thing I gave you was that he sanctified the water for us. Well, actually, the first thing I gave you was that Jesus did it by leading of the Holy Spirit, this was God's plan that he never does anything just out of a whim. Never, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God. And it was time for that to happen. Secondly, that he cleansed the waters. Uh, he purified the act of the waters, the, the act of cleansing, uh, which the Jews had done ritualistically, ceremonially, over and over and over throughout their lives. And he now cleanses it for us in a one-time event. A one-time. We don't believe, as Christians, we do not believe you have to be rebaptized from uh, for for uh, well, when people come to faith, maybe they were baptized as an infant, and they come to faith, stronger faith later in life. We don't go back and say you need to be rebaptized. Now there are a few Christian churches that do that, but very few. Uh, and I think wrongly, as long as they were baptized. With the New Testament formula, that is to be baptized in the name of the Father, in Jesus' own words, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we are being baptized into life in the Trinity when we are baptized. So now, this idea to sanctify the waters for us and that we should be obedient to follow Him. Now, in the book of Revelation, the very end of the scriptures, the very end of the story of God as revealed in Holy Scriptures, then. 
chapter 21, we read these words. I'll start with verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to him, I'm sorry, and he said to me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit. I think I lost uh, lost you for just a minute there, but it said reconnecting, so hopefully you're still there. Jesus is saying for us that if for to those who overcome, he is the end of all things. He's the beginning and the end of all things. And he's going to give those who overcome, that's been the message of the book of Revelation, to those who overcome. He's going to give to those who overcome the waters of the fountain of life. Let me read it to you exactly. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So when we thirst for God, when we realize we're thirsting for God, when we realize his Holy Spirit is drawing us to faith, the first order of business of that faith is to be baptized in the waters of of regenerationists. Cyril of Alexandria called them, as Peter calls them. Peter calls them that in his, I think it's the first epistle, waters of regeneration. Because our faith has led us to that recreating. And as Jesus said here, behold, I make all things new. The beauty of the baptism of Jesus, if Jesus had not been baptized, we would not have this way of entering into union with God in his creation because we're part of that creation, in that redeemed union into his redeemed creation, let me say. We would not have without Jesus being baptized first so that he purifies it, so that it can wash our souls, not our bodies by the faith that he has instilled within us, that he has led us to. Remember, God is always the prime mover. He is always the one who leads us to faith. It is his prevenient grace, as John Wesley called it, that leads us to faith in Christ, that leads us to the waters of baptism. And when we, if Jesus had not done that for us, we wouldn't have this beautiful way of reconnecting with the life of God in all of creation, of which we are a part of, of which we are the highest form of creation, if you will, as thinking rational human beings created in his image. So I've got a couple of notes here I want to cover before I run out of time with you real quick. Um, so this baptism teaching of Jesus is so important. You, you're beginning to see it now. You're connecting the dots through some of the teachings I've had with you in Bible study. Baptism is not optional. Baptism is not purely. What an amazing thing that is. Uh, I hope today that you're, you're, I hope your spirits have been lifted uh, to understand your baptism better. Maybe you're saying in your, these last few thoughts, you might be saying, well, Brad, I never knew any of that. I never really understood that or believed that. I was just baptized. It's okay. God's greater than your limited ability to understand. It doesn't mean your baptism wasn't valid. Absolutely not. Now, there are people I have known that have chosen to be rebaptized because they wanted to make the, a, a statement and they wanted to to have that feeling. I know, especially when we went to I did it myself. When I went to the Jordan River, I got baptized again. That wasn't my first baptism. It was for one lady with us there that day. It was her first baptism, which was so cool. Um, but I, I did, not because I felt I had to. The first one didn't work or anything. But because I wanted to just join with Jesus Christ in the Jordan River water of, of baptism. In fact, I brought a bottle of that water back. I have a couple of bottles of Jordan River water 
that I actually use when I do baptisms of any form, whether it's a baptism tank for immersion or whether it's a baptismal font for the pouring, I always mix a little bit of that Jordan River water with it just as a beautiful way of symbolizing the sanctity of the holy and the holiness of water uh, as, as a source that God has brought to us of the living fountain that is Jesus Christ. So, um, well, we've covered, a, we've covered two verses, but a whole lot of history today. And uh, we're out of time. I want to thank you for studying with me today. I love studying with you. Sorry we couldn't meet last week. Uh, next week, as I begin that pastorate in, in uh, Udall, Kansas, I'm going to uh, try and bring some more. that I'm hopefully going to be able to use that as an opportunity to record even more Bible study uh, from discipleship times I have there. My plan is to see this continue on Thursdays at 11. We'll see how that works out. I don't know uh, as my my being a bivocational minister now, a bivocational evangelist, I really do have to uh, have to work around different work schedules. So, but whatever happens, if I change the schedule from Thursday at eleven, I will always let you know. Be subscribed to the ministry. Be sure you've liked the page. Make sure that you're watching it and get notices of when it happens, so you can keep up with the the times of study. Well, thank you. Let me pray for you as we end all Bible studies with prayer. Uh, We started with prayer before the study of Scripture, and now let us end with a prayer of blessing. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each one who has joined with us today in in, in Bible study. I pray that they've joined with us in baptism as well, as I almost said there, Father. And if they haven't, may your Holy Spirit lead them and draw them to be baptized soon. And Father God, for those who have been baptized and maybe even those who were baptized early in life as, a, as an infant and never really understood this beautiful covenant, would you bring to their hearts and minds the fullness of the faith you are bringing and flowering and bubbling up within them right now. So be with us now, Father, as we leave this place until we meet again. Thank you for your grace that comes to us through the beauty of your sacramental order. And I pray that you will uh, keep us all safe until we meet again. Uh, We ask this blessing in Jesus' name, for he lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining me today. Randy, so good to see you here on the end. I hope you'll watch the podcast when you get time.